Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Chris Dupre. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Well, this is, this is fun. You should be up here when everybody is uh, loving and hugging on each other. <clears throat> you know, we're... <laughs> People are strange. I don't know if you know. <laughs> yes. Some people are more strange. Um, <clears throat> some people are really introverts in worship. And, <laughs> and they become extroverts the minute they got to say hi to somebody. They just, you know, watching them up here, they're, they're sitting there, and suddenly we got two minutes, and it's like it's not enough time. And, and then there's the other way around. Then there's the people that during worship, they're screaming and shouting and dancing around. And then when it comes time to actually talk to a human being, they, they, they shut down, they sit down, they're quiet. I'm like, what happened? I, I, I'm, I, that's not written down. I'm just noticing that as I'm looking out here. That we're strange. So um, may we all be free in both areas. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Um, what, wouldn't it be nice if there was a sermon that was that long? Yeah, it's, uh, especially if I was preaching. Um, I taught junior high for seven years, and uh, as I've, I've said before, I have the emotional scars to prove it. <clears throat> and junior high is an interesting age because they're old enough to not uh, old enough to pay attention. Um, they're old enough to have good discussions, but they still come up to here and a six foot one, 200 pound guy int- intimidates them. So it's, it's a fine balance of where they're old enough to have really great discussions, but they, they understand, uh, you know, where to go. Uh, they understand their role better than when they were five, six, seven years old. They're just finding their place. They're running around. They're making noise. Uh, they're like these little adults. And um, one of the things that I, when I was that age, I didn't like was history. Did anybody hate history growing up? Because it was dates. When history is about learning dates and not learning story, you, you just hate history. So what I found as I've come into the kingdom, go to buy school, teach, et cetera, et cetera, is that a lot of people don't want to know anything that ever happened. <laughs> Just don't, don't give, me a, give me a story, but don't tell me something historical because it's history and it, it makes us wig out. <clears throat> well, I'm going to be a junior high history teacher this morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this morning we're going to talk about the dates of the Revolutionary War. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In 1776. No. <laughs> what, what was that? Bueller. Bueller. All right. Okay. If, you don't get <laughs> if you've ever had that kind of a teacher, you understand what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about the Tabernacle of David. Oh, yeah, that just garnered all sorts of interest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah it's, it's an easy one when you first say, why talk about the tabernacle of David? 
Um, that's Old Testament. That's, yeah, well, because it's the foundation of either living a life of shame and striving or grace and peace. You got your choice. Uh, when you understand what happened then and why that whole thing happened, then it, you're kind of given a choice on a platter. You can either have uh, shame and striving and you can pick that up or you can really understand what that the tabernacle of David means and then pick up grace and peace. Uh, you can pick up closeness and access to God. <clears throat> the other way is, is just miserable. Um, I, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase that I, I heard some years ago. I might have uh, said it here before, um, but it's called shame management, where we, we manage the shame in our lives and we're able to do it in such a way as that Sunday morning, no one knows the shame you feel. You come in, and it's good, and it's worship, and, and there's a reconnection. But maybe the, the last reconnection you had was the last Sunday before in the middle of worship where you go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I will not do that this week. I will not say that this week. I will not look upon that this week. And then by Friday, you're, you're, you're like, and then this Sunday you go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And you've gone through work and, and you, you re-up forgiveness again. Uh, it was <laughs> years ago in Kansas City. I was the worship pastor there. And, and there was this one, this one gal that did that. And she was, she was totally clear that this is what she did. Every Sunday she would re-up um, <laughs> and find forgiveness from shame and guilt. And I'd say, you know, you can actually live like that every day. And, and she didn't know how to do this. And so every Sunday she would weep all through worship because she felt slimy. And um, so the, the, uh, the tabernacle of David for me, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a history lesson. I'm going to be trite here, but it's a his story lesson. It is, it's his story long time ago that if we, if we see it, it, it actually will change something in us that makes us run to instead of run from. You know, I grew up farm country and <clears throat> I remember literally milking a cow at four years old, um, which is not something most four-year-olds should do, but I remember milking a cow at four years old. And, and we had a, a thing there that, and I'm sure you probably have it here, of how do you tell the wind direction? Yeah, I'm not going to do it right now, but you, you lick your finger, you put it in the air, it tells you the wind direction. When you're playing golf, you pick up grass and you throw it in the air, and it tells you which way the wind blows. Um, I don't see many golfers licking, but that's, that's a, what they're doing is they're, they're looking for movement of which way something is moving. <clears throat> and um, one of the ways that we can tell the movement of ourselves before God, if I were just to, oh... If I were just to take, you know, there's just a large group of people, but if it was just you and you're standing before God and you know you have something that's maybe untalked about with him, unforgiven, uh, uh, you just want to ignore it, you leave it, and there he is. He's right in front of you and it's just you and him. Um, and then suddenly this, this understanding of what you've done you, you lick your finger in the air, and the, the direction that you go determines how you see yourself before him. Do you run toward him, or do you run from him? And there's a lot of running from in the body of Christ. 
We run from, for a while, we live in shame and manage it, and then on the other side of a week or two, we deal with God, we get it right, but we've missed seven, ten days of actually living in the kingdom. And we're kingdom people. Kingdom is not where we go. The kingdom of God is now. So if we miss day after day after day, we're not living in the kingdom. We're living in our own shame and our own what guilt and our own whatever, and we manage it until that moment, that sweet moment when we release it and we feel close, we feel love, we feel forgiveness, and maybe that, that feeling is three, seven, 10, 12 days down the line, and the rest of those days, we, we live otherly. <clears throat> and so for me, one of the great truths that really helped me was this, this understanding of what the tabernacle of David was. And I, I was, I'll be honest with you, I've you know, been a believer for, I think it's been 112 years. And, <clears throat> oh gosh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, by the way, in private was really funny. Um, <clears throat> and <laughs> I, I, I remember years had passed and I heard this, I, I'm standing there and I, I'll be honest with you, I had my own world of shame management. And I, I remember uh, sitting in and listening to this, you know, I've been a worship leader for quite a while at this time, and I was listening, this young girl got up, and she was going to talk about this biblical truth, uh, and, and I, I thought, well, I, I've heard this before, I've taught this, and then she just out-taught me. She outspoke me, she out-scriptured me. She was probably 20, 21 years old, and I sat there in awe. And by the time it was done, I'm asking God for forgiveness for my arrogance, um, for thinking something more, and then thinking of her less, and <clears throat> tried to settle my heart of, of to what do I need to learn? And, and at that point in time, I just came to myself as, a, I want to be a student of God till I die. I don't, I don't ever want to get to the point because I, I do things like this that I'm, I'm different than when I sit in a chair over there. I'm, not, I'm the same person that when I go home, I have to, I, I, you know, I want to love my wife and my kids well. I want to be servants to my neighbors. Uh, I want to I do those things that, that matter in life. And I just remember that day as I, I learned a valuable lesson is that I want to learn from everyone. So I, I, <coughs> I picked up this whole aspect. I've been teaching worship for umpteen years, and the truth of this, this particular one came later in life, and I'm, I so regret it because uh, I didn't live in the revelation of it. And, and so this morning, I want to download that as, as kind of quickly as possible. Um, that's a long introduction, and that's a horrible way to do something quickly, um, but say la vie. All right, so what is the tabernacle of David? <laughs> uh, old, go, go back to, uh, go back to Noah. Go back to Moses. We have the tabernacle in the wilderness. We have, and everybody knows the, the three areas of a tabernacle or a temple. We have a, what, outer, inner, and holy of holies, okay? Some people also call it the most holy place, but holy of holies. And so you've got these three sections. We together, we could hang out in the outer court. And there's, you know, there's, there's all sorts of animals being slaughtered. Um, you know, can you imagine being the worship leader? That was worship. That was part of worship. So, you know, the, if I'm the, the local worship leader, and I go home that day and I'm, you know, I'm covered in blood. Oh, worship was good today, honey. Because... <laughs> <laughs> That's the expression of worship is, well, you had a good day. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of people showed up. They sprayed it all around today. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> very different expression. By the way, be glad that we have worshiped like this now as opposed to worship then. Because can you imagine the amount of outfits they'd have to go through? It'd be... Or either they had a secret of how to get blood out of stuff. I don't know. <clears throat> um, so the, the inner court is, is a little different. We've got priests tending to things. We've got lights and we've got incense. We've got all sorts. But there's one other, other spot, the Holy of Holies. And we'll get to that in a second. <clears throat> um, but that's, that's a special place that, you know, we're not invited into. And <clears throat> Amos We've got, we've got a thousand years later, David comes along, and then hundreds of years later, Amos comes along and says, I'll restore the tabernacle of David. So we've got this, this temple in the wilderness. It's not really a temple. It's a tabernacle, and it moves where the Israelites move. A thousand years later, David wants to build a temple, but he's got blood on his hands, so he can't, so he sets up a tent. The tabernacle of David was a tent. It wasn't, I've been, on, I've been in, uh, in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, in the area what's called the City of David. So I've been in the spot where they, you, you go up, and, and it's not a large area. Um, and the, uh, the Psalm 24, it says, you know, uh, coming into his presence, it, it speaks about open up the gates, let the king of glory come in. It's just a beautiful scripture, which is what most scholars think that they sang when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant up the hill into, into the Dave, in David's tabernacle, which was a tent. But, you know, when they open up the gates, it sounds really majestic, but technically open up the gates were pull back the tent flaps. That's it. Shoot, pull back the tin flip. And that's it. That, it, it. It sounds more majestic, but that's the reality of what it was because David didn't have anything but a tent. <clears throat> so why does David do this? Well, let me go back. Ready for some history? Okay, thank you. Okay. First <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Samuel 10, Saul's anointed, proclaimed king. This doesn't take long. First Samuel 13, God chooses another man. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Saul. He's got three chapters to make it, and he doesn't. Uh, he, he, he sacrifices, and he enters into, into a priestly role when he's supposed to be in a kingly role. Isn't that nice now that we're what? We're both what? Priests and kings. We, we get the good stuff. He, he, back then, he was, he was you know, assigned one role. He entered into another one. God comes along and speaks to Samuel to anoint someone who has a, a, a man after my own heart. You all know the expression, man after my own heart. And um, the, the word after, uh, in, in my brain, because I used to be a runner, the word after means kind of like to run after. So it's, it's to run after God. Does that sound good? Okay, here's the problem. That's not what it means. <clears throat> to run after means that God's moving away from you. <laughs> You'll never catch God, <laughs> okay? If, if you have to run after God, then, then you're not with him, okay? So what does the after mean? I went to a wedding, and I'm standing in line, and this old lady in front of me, she's probably my age now, but when I was young, <laughs> this older lady than I was, looking very svelte and young, I stepped, and she's in front of me, and she goes, my, 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 you look like your daddy. 
my, 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 you take after your daddy. Well, you take after you. And there's all these men. He had like four or five different brothers. And then there's the father. And all the kids, all the groomsmen look like their father. And you take after, you take after. And, and, and by the time I was done, I just went home and I, I just made that joke of, wow, you take after, you take after. This is down south. <clears throat> and then it was like, oh, take after. Okay, a man after God's own heart. So I looked it up. This is what it means. You take after the heart of God. Your heart is like his. So what, what God is telling Samuel is, I want you to find a man who has a heart like mine. Not a man who strives to run after him, who's at peace because he has him. Ah, one is activity, the other is presence. <clears throat> so the instructions for the Holy of Holies, you can find it in Leviticus and Exodus 30 and Leviticus 16. <clears throat> you, you, you don't enter into the Holy of Holies. And <clears throat> uh, once a year, at this particular time, we go back in time, Aaron being the, the, first, uh, the first priest in this category, and we all know the story. I mean, you all know the story. Aaron goes, he's the, he goes once a year, David told me, he goes once a year to represent all the people. And he's the only guy that can go into the, into the Holy of Holies one day a year, but what does he have to do? Because I know you know this. What's he wear? What's he wear at the bottom of his cloak? Bells. Why? When he stops, when they hear cling. <laughs> and what's he got tied to his ankle? A rope. Why? So they can drag out the dead body. If you're going, what do you mean? What if he's not, there's a whole sanctification process, which if you go back to the scripture I just gave you. If, you. if you go back, it tells you the sanctification process that the high priest had to go through in order to get to the Holy of Holies. If you did not go through everything like you were supposed to, if you get back there, you literally are underdressed. <laughs> As we just sang, you're, you're, you're not ready. You're unsanctified. And if you get back there in the presence of a holy God, unsanctified, you die. And so can you imagine, you're, you're standing there and you're like, come on, let's say this is Reuben, Reuben's the new guy, come on Reuben, you can do it. And suddenly you hear clink and the bells ring and then they stop. And you get Reuben, oh Reuben, <laughs> pull the rope, out comes Reuben and they turn over to the assistant worship leader. <laughs> I'm not going in. <laughs> Talk about the fear of God. <clears throat> so we've got a, a thousand years that go by with this process from Moses to David. A thousand years of high priests, once a year going, a thousand years, boom, boom, keeps going on and on. <clears throat> and David suddenly is now, you know, picked by God. He, he enters into his place um, as, as, as king, but he doesn't start out, when he becomes king, Saul is still king of 11 tribes of Israel. David is king of Judah. He's over one-twelfth of the kingdom. And so he wants to bring back, he's waiting for that moment when he, he gets all 12 tribes, because 
He's got the Ark of the Covenant. He wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem because he wants to establish worship again. And so are you okay with me? This is the history part. Are you okay with this? Okay. Anybody fall asleep yet? If you have and you raise your hand, you're not asleep anymore. So there you go. A few of you actually raised your hand. Okay. God bless you. It's like when my kids were little and you had to put them to bed and they were asleep before you do it. And you pick them up, you carry them in and you stand them up, but they're asleep, but they're awake. And you say, put your arms up, babe. You take off what they have and say, keep your arms up. I'm gonna, and you take the nightgown and you put it over them. You put your arms down. You know, if you talk to them, they won't talk to you, but they obey you. So, <laughs> which is actually the perfect child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> May they always stay that way. <laughs> um, oh, I'm really off track. <clears throat> so... Finally, I won't say finally Saul dies, but finally, well, finally, I'm sure, I'm sure David did not think that, but he was heartbroken because also his, his best friend and his beloved Jonathan dies at the same time. And now David is proclaimed king over all of Israel. David spent seven years, seven years as the king of Judah. He now becomes king over all Israel. And he says, I'm going to take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. So you know the story. He puts the ark on a cart carried by oxen, and they go along, and it starts to, you know, hit some rocks and some holes in the ground. And Uzzah puts his hand up, and he's killed trying to steady the ark. He's, you're not supposed to touch the presence of God. He's not in a position. So thank God the old covenant is past, by the way. Every now and then when I read this story, I just go, thank you, God. I'm not in the cart and oxen place anymore. Um, and so he, he, he's not happy with, with what God just did. So the, the Ark of the Covenant goes to this guy, Edom Odin. He goes to his house for three months. It's in, the, in his house for three months. Everything, he prospers for three months. It's unbelievable. And so it's time for David then to, he's, he's kind of learned some lessons. And he brings the Ark back and, and he gets the Ark back into uh, into the way it's supposed to, which is this. He takes the priests, he puts the ark on a cart on, that goes on the shoulders of men. What's the difference? The presence of God on an ark made by hand is not the presence of God on humans. The presence of God is supposed to be carried by humanity, not by oxen and not by a wooden cart. Okay, so David had it all backward. David, David thought, I can move God along over here, and I can carry him on something that doesn't weigh me down. But the presence is supposed to weigh us. It's supposed to have weight in our lives. If the presence of God doesn't have weight in our lives, then something convenient is carrying it along for us. <clears throat> and we're not, we're not called to create conveniences so that God can be in our life. We're to carry him. <clears throat> so David learns to hear God's voice. Actually, <clears throat> it's, it's a little aside. If you go to um, First Chronicles 13, is where the action is. First Chronicles 14, <clears throat> David's going to go to war. And the Lord says, do this and do this and do this. And so David does it. I'm not going to go into it. But David does it and he gets victory. <clears throat> and then 
David, who has now learned a little bit, I'm supposed to hear the, the voice of God, now learned a little bit, um, he goes, uh, he's got to go, this war situation, and what David doesn't do, he doesn't go, I'm going to do what I did before. <clears throat> he doesn't do that. He inquires of the Lord again, separately. And the Lord says, don't do that, what you did before, now do this and come around this way, which makes no sense. But what had happened the first time with the cart, David said, Scripture says, he inquired of the men around him who said it would be good to carry it the way they did. So he inquired of men, and a man's killed. Now he's learned his lesson. The next step I take in God, I'm asking him. I'm going to inquire of the Lord first, and then it seemed good to the men. Oh, I want the men to agree with God I don't want to just agree with the men and say, God be in it. That's, that's just a way to live life. Just take it with you, however that works for you. Don't just look for people to agree with you and say, that must be God. Ask God to come. And sometimes he'll use men to confirm things, but it's because of the, the request you have on him that he allows those things to happen. All right. <clears throat> so he, he tell, God says, do that. Totally different. He does it totally different, and he gets the same results. Victory. So he goes, okay, now it's time to go get the ark from Obed-Edom and bring it into the house. By the way, Scripture says that Obed-Edom became the doorkeeper. So every time he, he just he ushered people into the presence of God. I just love that fact. Uh, now, there were, there were two or three Obed-Edoms, which is not the most normal name, but it's like Smith around here. What, Hornberger? There's a lot of... Hornburgers, yeah, she's, yeah, they're back there waving, yeah. <clears throat> I, I met, met a couple the other day, another one's not related to you guys. <clears throat> um, but Odebedum was actually a fairly common name, so they wonder, is it the same guy? I personally believe it is. I believe that God honored that, that man and, and, and set him in as a doorkeeper into the house of God. <clears throat> so he's, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. They're coming in, and you know the story. Everybody's dancing, and David is dancing. And I have heard it said from a pulpit many times, David was naked before the Lord. No, he wasn't. <laughs> David didn't sacrifice, but he put on priestly robes. When it said he had the fine linen, what he was putting on was a priestly robe. So he's, he was acting as a priest before the Lord without doing the sacrifice that priests had to do. So what Michael was mad about was not David dancing naked. What she was mad about was that he was taking a lesser role as a priest instead of the king. I married a king. I'm a king's wife. Wait, wait, I'm not a priest's wife. And so for her, it's, it's, a, it's a place of pride and arrogance. It's not a place of shameful acting. Does that make sense? Okay. So we've got this thing, and the ark is coming back. And the first thing, and when he brings it back in, in 1 Chronicles 15, it starts out, the chapter says, David built houses for himself. And again, I remember hearing this guy preach this one time. And he said, David built houses for himself. What a selfish, selfish thing to do. I mean, no wonder David went through all the things he did. He was such an arrogant. And I remember reading that, and I, I, I'm just going to say what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me. <clears throat> was, no, he was arrogant, the guy that was preaching. <laughs> what David did was wise. When a leader comes into a new area and builds a house, he establishes a foundation that everybody else can be secure. 
If you come into a place, let's just put it this way. If, if, we, if the church opened up, the church opened up, what, a year ago in November, we got into this building, all right? If, if Nathan and Adrian family just decided, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go move to Baltimore. Suddenly, everybody that was coming, like, what, what? What, what, what happened when, I, when they actually came here was that they put a little addition on the home. They invested money to stay here. That's what a good leader does. A good leader allows those around him to see the security and the roots go down. When roots go down in a good leader, in good leadership, there's a security issue that allows people to free them up to be who they're called to be. So what David did was one of the most uh, wise things he could have done. He came and he built houses for himself. And he's telling everybody, I am no longer an Adullam guy. I'm no longer a guy out over here. I am I'm a Jerusalem guy. As a matter of fact, this is now, this area of Jerusalem is called the city of David. <clears throat> I'm planting my house. I'm planting my servants. I'm planting my family. I'm planting everything right here. <coughs> um, history. I'm having fun. I don't know about you, but I, I'm having fun. I, okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and it goes through the whole thing. He provides security. And then one of the things that, if you read verses 11 to 17, David goes, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this. He prophesies over all these people, saying, you're going to be this, you're going to do that. You're, you know, it just, it's an amazing time where it's, it reminds me of that scene um, in, in Braveheart where he's on the horse in front of the crowd. Remember that scene? He's going back and forth. It's, it's the big soliloquy that... that uh, What's his name? William Wallace. Thank you very much. William Wallace gives, and he's, he's all these people. You know, there's two guys back in like row eight with a rake and a hoe. And they're looking at the army, you know, forming on the other side of the hill. And they look, and they, so they have this conversation. It's like, why are we here? I got a hoe. I, I'm not going to beat them. You know, let's go back. We're farmers. Let's act like farmers. And then he gets on his horse and goes up, men of Scotland. And then suddenly they go, huh? That's who I, and he, he breathes life and breath and bravery into them. He, and encouragement is the, giving of encourage, of, is the giving of courage to someone else. It's one of the most encouraging speeches I've ever heard on film. It's this beautiful thing. And when he gets done, he yells freedom. And all those guys, even those guys, it shows him in the, in the, in the movie. Yeah, yeah I'm going to die with a hoe in my hand. Yeah. They're just, <laughs> they're ready to die. Why? Because they're inspired. They're ready to go. They got good leadership. <clears throat> so he returns to the ark. Puts in the middle. Now, here's where I want to get. He built, He gets this tent. He decides, okay, I'm going to put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of this tent and have everyone come. And I can just see all the people going, David, do you remember the Holy of Holies? One guy, once a year, not sanctified, he dies. And you want to put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the tent and have everyone come around it and worship. So you want everyone to die? Yes. No, that's not what he said. <clears throat> he said, no, this is God. What makes you think this is God? I know the heart of God. And if you go back through the Old Testament, there's no one but David who carries the heart of what God's heart was like. 
Because all you have to do is read Psalms to hear the closeness of God to those that cry out. It's such a beautiful, intimate portrayal of the heart of God is through, through Psalms. And David introduces this whole generation of people in what, what we call Davidic worship. This is Davidic worship. <clears throat> According to scholars, here's the Davidic worship. Singing, musicians with instruments, 24-7, ministry before the Lord. Praise, rejoicing, clapping, shouting, dancing, lifting up hands, bowing, community worship, thanksgiving, no animal sacrifice. No animals were sacrificed in the tabernacle of David. No one went home bloody. That's a good thing. <coughs> He's, he established what's called Davidic worship, which we have, which we have today, <coughs> which is wonderful. And some, of the, some people can come and they go, I, it gets a little weird. I, I get weirded out during worship. Don't. God established this thousands of years ago. He wants us. Yeah, but they got banners and they almost hit me. Well, okay, they'll get better with their aim, all right? <laughs> I'm not going to shut down Davidic worship because I have a problem with the difference of worship where I came from, okay? Have you ever heard the expression, well, we always did this? Guess what? No, no one ever always did this. We always did this until we changed, and then we always did this until we changed again. <clears throat> so, you know, <laughs> oh, I won't go there. Um, <clears throat> so David is in the, on all these people, I can see that David, um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant's in there, and now the people outside, they're a little nervous. No, no, we're going to go and we're going to sing Psalm 24, up the hill, through the tent flaps, in. And he goes, we can all die. <clears throat> And David, we're not going to die. We're not going to die. This is the will of God that all you people gather around with the presence of God right in the middle of his people. I don't know about that. And then David goes, come on, come with me. And they're walking through there and, and they're just like, and they, they get inside and they're not dead yet. And they, they turn around in the flap and turn to the people, we're not dead yet. So they start really singing, you know, hey, we might not die. We might not die. We might not die. You know, I see them going up the hill, <laughs> going in the tent. We might not die. <laughs> and then they get in. I did not die. I did not die. I went through the gates and I did not die. <laughs> and so seriously, they've got a thousand years of people dying if they're not sanctified. Their history is that you're wrong. You're dead. You're not totally covered, you're dead. And, and they're going up going, I'm not even partially covered. I am totally exposed. <laughs> you know, I am just filled with, yeah, you are. Get inside the tent. The invitation is come in the tent. <clears throat> and Amos, years later, says, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. It's like, well, what does that mean? What's the tabernacle of David? <clears throat> And then years later, we, we get into um, the New Testament, and there's this conflict that's going on. And we've got, we've got the, the original disciples, they're all Jewish, and they are bringing in people of that same persuasion. They're going after the other Jewish people. And suddenly Paul, who had been Saul, now Paul starts going after Gentiles, and they're like, what are you doing? Well, no, this, we're supposed to, to come here as well. What, what, why? 
Well, God wants this, this is for everybody. No, it's to the Jew first. Yeah, but if they're first, then there's a second. <clears throat> so the restoration of the tabernacle in, in Acts 15, there's this big fight, and it's 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 actually over circumcision, and it's it's. I'm glad, by the way, that battle was won a long time ago. And so the it's over. If you receive the Lord as a Gentile male believer, you must be circumcised. <clears throat> and and they're like, no, no, they just they just come in, and and, and the other disciples like. No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I think they need to be circumcised. You know, and, 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 the, and Paul and, and the others are like, no, no, I, I, we've been seeing God doing miracles with them, and, and that, they, don't, they don't need that. And finally, James, the brother of Jesus, steps up. He says, you know, men and brethren, uh, I think I have a better way. I think I understand what's going on. <clears throat> the, the idea of of the, the tabernacle of David being rebuilt is taking place right now. And so Amos, a thousand years before, goes, you know, <coughs> tabernacle of David is going to be rebuilt. Amos 9-11, it's going to be rebuilt. And he, he goes, this is the, this is the fulfillment of that, of that scripture. And they're like, what? There's no tent. There's no structure being built. <clears throat> he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Let me take it back. You're in the tabernacle of David. You're walking in. You don't die. Tiny Tim, who did not die. Sorry. <laughs> See Muppets Christmas. That's what you end up with. <clears throat> um, so you walk in. You know you don't die. And what actually took place in the, the tabernacle of David was continuous 24-7 worship. If you can read Nehemiah, Nehemiah talks about the different choirs. There's a small choir and a larger choir. And what really happened? How do you do 24-7 worship? Well, you, you get 4,000 musicians and 288 singers, and you go at it forever and ever. And so what they did was they put, uh, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, and on one side you had a what was just called a leader. It was a song leader, but you had a leader. And on the other side you have another leader. And behind each leader is the small choir, and behind each small choir was a large choir. So this is how it went. This guy sings a song. He sings it over here, and the small choir picks it up. The small choir sings it, sings it this way. The large choir picks it up. The large choir begins to sing, and everybody begins to sing. Isn't that beautiful? It's called antiphonal singing, and it went on 24-7 the rest of the time that David was alive. <clears throat> year after year after year. And so you had these guys literally doing uh, probably eight-hour shifts as a singer. And then you have people in a small choir, and then you have people in a large choir, and it just went, and the singing went, and now and then there was just prophesying on instruments, and it was beautiful, and it kept going hour after hour, month after month, year after year, um, <clears throat> for years until, until David died. And the, the, the unfortunate thing, but I understand it, is that when David died, the Ark of the Covenant went back into the Holy of Holies. It didn't stay out in the midst of all the people because the one that could allow it to happen had to be a man who had God's heart. Once David was gone, that heart was gone. The understanding of God needing to be in the middle of his people was gone. And for them, at that point in time, what God needed to be was back in his place, in a box, where he's controlled. Was it God? Yeah, but, but it was because of their ignorance. <clears throat> so, Chris, stop it now and 
Close it. I will. I'm going to close it here. What God intended, what God intended was not the Mosaic, Moses in the Holy of Holies, Solomon Temple in the Holy of Holies. What, what the heart of God was when he created man was to walk in a garden and have absolute access with man. That was God's initial intent. God doesn't change. God allows himself to morph to serve. But the heart of God doesn't change. And until a man comes along with a heart like his, oh, there's David, he's got my heart. I can go back in the middle of my people. And he goes back into the middle of his people. To try and show, to try and show God's initial intent, which was to make himself available and have access to anyone who walked in the tent. It's a big tent. Everyone's welcome. You just want, to, you just got to want to have access to God. If you do, you have it. So with my little numbers guys back there. <clears throat> All right, we'll see how this works. Okay, you ready for this? Okay, how, how many years was he king over Judah? Who remembers? Seven. Do we have that? Oh, look at that. <clears throat> Do you know how many years David was king altogether? Here's something interesting. Saul was king for 40 years. Solomon, on the other side of David, was king for 40 years. David was king totally for 40 years. Here we go. 40 years. So what does that next do? 40 minus 7 is what? 33 years the presence of God was in the middle of his people. Is there any other time in history for 33 years when the presence of God was in the middle of his people and anyone who wanted could have access? The Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the Tabernacle of David is God saying to us now, you have access to me anytime you want. There's nothing. The flaps are open. The rent, the veil has been rent. What happened when Jesus died? The veil in the Holy of Holies was rent, saying everyone has access. There's nothing holding you back. I don't care about what you did. Your shame is not more powerful than my ability to have you. We all have access now. You don't have to go through a process. I'm going to say something controversial, okay? All you biblical scholars out there can talk to me later. I are one. <laughs> Praying doesn't bring you closer to God. It increases your relationship and gives you revelation. Worship doesn't make you closer to God. It allows you to relate your heart of love and affection toward him. Reading scripture doesn't bring you closer to God. It allows, it gives you an opportunity to read his heart, to know his ways, so that you allow yourself to experience the closeness of God you always have. Be careful with the comments, I want to get closer, because God says you already are. I give you access 24 7. 365 days a year, except leap year, I give you an extra day. <laughs> Can we give him a hand? He's just...
Let's stand together. Just right where you are, just lift your hands up. Lord, we come this morning and we see ourselves in the middle of this tent. And there you are, available. You're available. Always available. Then to make a point, you send your son for the exact same amount of time to be in the middle of your people so that maybe, like James, your brother, we could get the revelation that the tabernacle of David is about access to God, that you're always there. In their time, it was for the Jew and Gentile. For our time, it's for all. So Lord, anything in our lives where we have been held back from entering in to the closeness that we have, to the relationship that's there, to the potential. If we are managing shame, whatever it might be, or the things that we feel that are religious, that we feel to pretend that it's a relationship with you. Lord, I love to read your word, but I don't do it to get, to get closer. I do it to know, to love, to grow, to relate better, maybe find out your heart more, but I can't get closer to the one who lives in me. So Lord, this morning, I just ask for that revelation of the access to God to burn deeply within our hearts that we can put our finger in the air <clears throat> and we can say, ah, this is the direction that I run. I run to him, not from him. And I just thank you. We thank you for Jesus who made this total access happen. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.